I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB. Thanks for joining me. I started a lot of shows. It's been my motto uh, since I started was this show is a safe space for independent thinkers. Uh, I'm going to really test that today. (laughs) You're going to need to be an open-minded, independent thinker to listen to some of the things we cover on today's show. It'll be interesting to see how this goes over. You can always reach me at MikeMadison at WYAB.com if you want to reach me, because I am about to make some people uncomfortable. There are some sacred cows on the right, and I'm about to make ribeyes out of a couple of them. So bear with me. I think it might help you free your mind a little bit. The bottom line is the same way of thinking that got us here is not going to get us out of here. And I believe there are some things we need to start letting go of, or at least viewing in a different way. You'll see what I'm talking about with two of the topics that I bring up today. Before I get to those things, I told you yesterday I had a bunch of time off. And I love music, and I love the music of the 80s and the 90s, and I was searching around, as I do, when I just want to take a break and look at some of the the old classic stuff. Here's an interesting thing. With what's going on in uh, Ukraine and Russia right now, do you know who is a better ambassador to Russia than our current Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, and Mike Pompeo, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, Condoleezza Rice, every one of our Secretaries of State since 1991? Do you know who would have made a better Secretary of State than any of these people? Sebastian Bach, the lead singer of Skid Row. Vince Neil, the lead singer of Motley Crue. Or any of the bandmates. Tommy Lee, the guy that wears a leather thong and is tatted from head to toe, the drummer for Motley Crue, would have been a better ambassador between us and Russia than any of the modern-day secretaries of state. I was watching, I ran across the Moscow Peace Festival. This is from 1989. Now, I looked at it because I was into these bands. I loved some good heavy hair metal back in the day. But you should check this thing out. In 1989, the Soviet Union was still standing. And they held something called the Moscow Peace Festival at the time. And they had Ozzy Osbourne, Motley Crue. It was pretty heavy it was, it was a heavy metal, but, you know, kind of the main, not thrash stuff, but it was the, it was the hair bands of the day. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne might get mad at me for calling him a hair band, but anyway, regardless. This was an event 
that the Russians allowed to take place in Russia in 1989 as the Soviet Union was still intact. And these kids had a great time with these, these rockers. These people we look at as the degenerates, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll guys, they did more to spare the lives and to bring peace to the world than any of these psychopaths that we've had infesting Washington, D.C. for the past 30 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall. It's really quite striking when you stop and think about it. You think about all of the credentials that that calm and rational Condoleezza Rice, she was moving NATO. Hillary Clinton, don't get me started. Mike Pompeo, just a, a consummate war pig himself. But these rock bands, you, you really should go see it. If you want to see these kids from the Soviet Union really embracing and, and the potential of what could have been, they could have looked to the They were already wanting, desiring that, that culture of the United States. And boy, they got close to it, too, didn't they? And we slapped them in the face for it. It's really it's quite interesting. Anyway, it's a great show. This was in the heyday of Skid Row. I was a big Skid Row fan. That Sebastian Bach turned out to be kind of a punk, I think, but eh, it's a great singer back in the day. Anyway, just kind of striking. Uh, I'll do a quick quote of the day because I think it leads some context to the rest of the show. Just to show you that, you know, I'm different. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about that. When you turn on conservative talk radio and stumble across Mike Madison, you you look around. What, wait, what am I listening to exactly? Uh, This is a meme that's out there right now. It says, you hate the current government because you want a different ruler. I hate all government because I own myself and no one has a right to rule me. We are not the same. It's just an interesting, (laughs) interesting take. That's exactly what it is, and that's the difference that the show is. So let's go ahead and get started, I guess. I'll tell you what, no, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a break and come back. I'm going to start barbecuing the sacred cows of today, starting with, uh, (laughs) this this is one of those things I'm glad I'm not doing live in front of a crowd. I'd have to have some kind of chicken wire up in front of me uh, to start this out. But if you'll just bear with me, just give me a moment to flesh this out. I think you're going to find out some, find some surprising things. And I don't know, maybe it'll make you think a tad bit differently. I'll be right back. All right, as the kids say, let's get it on. Now, bear with me. If you start to hear this, I ask you, just don't turn this off immediately. Just give me at least this segment to flesh out the idea, because I think you're about to find out something very interesting. I Some things that I didn't know until a few days ago. A couple of weeks ago, I touched on the Pledge of Allegiance. And I knew I was kind of touching a third rail of conservative talk radio, because we've all been taught, you know, we all want the kids to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance. I told you at the time, and I've felt this way for a long time. It's, you know, I kind of have to tiptoe into some issues, but I said it really felt very, very propagandistic to me. It felt like really a, uh, an allegiance to a government is what it felt like. And to have all the kids recite it all at the same time, I just, I told you a few weeks ago, it really made me kind of uncomfortable, it gave me the heebie jeebies. 
I knew that wasn't popular, <laughs> so I'll admit I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but I ran across this. See, I know that that kind of stuff makes conservatives angry or uncomfortable, but long ago, in my opinion, what, from what I see as an observer, we gave away the country to wars and debt, welfare, socialist programs like Social Security and Medicare. We gave the country away a long time, but people love their symbols and the patriotic pageantries like the Pledge, the National Anthem, military flyovers. I mean, if you want to make a conservative mad, tell them you support the freedom to burn the flag, which I support. I don't encourage anybody to burn the flag, but the, I believe it is the beauty of our country that you can do it. That is the freedom that we're supposed to have in this country. I believe there's a Republican congressman right now in uh, honor of Flag Day introduced another bill to ban the burning of the flag. You would be put into a cage, kidnapped by the state and put into a cage if you burn a piece of cloth the government tells you you cannot burn. Now, I'm not encouraging anybody to do it. I've never burned a flag, but I do appreciate the fact that we are supposed to live in a country where we don't care. That is freedom of speech. A lot of talk on the right right now about freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is important for the speech that is not popular. That's the only time it's really tested. Saying something that everybody likes, there's, there's no, there's no uh, controversy there. But burning the flag should be one of our most prized freedoms, even if you don't exercise it, knowing that you will not be kidnapped and put into a cage by your government for burning a piece of cloth that they say represents them. Anyway, I digress. Back to the pledge. So I've said I, I, it makes me uncomfortable. It feels like it feels very indoctrination-y. Now, I ran across this piece after I had done that. This is, uh, came from about a week ago. It's by a guy named Brian McGlinchey. He's got a substack called Stark Realities. Check this out. This is very interesting. As I told you, if you'll bear with me, keep an open mind. I think you might, about to, might be about to learn some things. I certainly did. Uh, the guy who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance, dang it, I've, uh, I need to get his name. Hold on, I, I clipped some of this stuff, and I didn't pull his, his full name out. Hold on. Okay, here it is. His name is uh, Francis Bellamy, so check this out. <clears throat> Many who consider the Pledge a cornerstone of conservative values will be surprised to learn that it was written by a Christian socialist named Francis Bellamy who was run out of his pul pulpit at a Boston church for preaching against capitalism and who called Jesus Christ a socialist. His radical cousin, Edward Bellamy, wrote a popular novel, Looking Backward, which glowingly describes a future in which government controls the means of production and where men are co uh, conscripted into the country's industrial army and compelled to work in roles assigned to them by the central planners. While working for the Youth Companion, a children's magazine, Bellamy wrote the Pledge of Allegiance in 1892, timed to be an introduction in patriotic celebrations accompanying the 400th anniversary of Columbus's uh, arrival. According to a summary of Bellamy's account of his writing of the pledge, he aimed for brevity as well as, quote, a rhythmic roll of sound so they would impress the children and have a lasting meaning when they became grown-up citizens. Given his belief, Bellamy was well-suited for creating a loyalty oath that conditions Americans to sub subordinate themselves to a powerful central government. Make no mistake, in pledging allegiance, quote, to the republic, Americans are doing precisely that. 
That's consistent with Bellamy's wish for state sovereignty and intellectual liberties to yield to centralized national government, but it's starkly at odds with the founding, uh, founding spirit of the country. Central to that spirit are the notions that government should be a servant and not a master, and that all government should be viewed with deep, ongoing wariness, certainly not the reverence demanded in the Pledge of Allegiance. Free people have no business pledging loyalty to any government. It's government that has the duty of loyalty to the people, with no more essential demonstration than that loyalty than the protection of the values of the individual. Now, th this gets <laughs> very interesting. I don't like to read a whole lot of things. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm so excited that I, my spidey senses going off at the Pledge of Allegiance was well-founded. As I say, it felt very indoctrination-y. This piece goes on to say, Bellamy didn't just write the pledge, but also instructions for an accompanying ritual that feels simultaneously religious and militaristic. Quote, at a signal from the principal, the pupils, in ordered ranks, hands to the side, face the flag. Another signal is given. Every pupil gives the flag the military salute, right hand lifted, palm downward, to align with the forehead and close to it. At the words, quote, to my flag, unquote, the right hand is extended gracefully, palm upward, towards the flag and remains in this gesture till the end of the affirmation, whereupon all hands immediately drop to the side. Yes, Bellamy, and this is from the piece, this is from this piece, yes, Bellamy directed civilian children and adults to render a military salute to the flag, perhaps laying the philosophical groundwork for the eventual creation of the socialist, quote, industrial army, unquote, his cousin, cousin envisioned in his novel. Two elements of the pledge are especially destructive of a healthy mindset regarding the relationship between the American people and the government. One nation and indivisible. First, are you still with me? <laughs> I, I found this pretty fascinating, to be honest with you. Uh, this, this goes on in the piece. First, in creating the United States of America, the founders were not forming a single nation. The U.S. Constitution is a compact of independent states with the word states taking its highest political meaning. That puts Virginia, for example, on par with France. That compact delegated certain limited powers to a federal government so it could perform stated functions in service to the separate states. As James Madison wrote, quote, The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. Fifty different sovereign societies exercising numerous and indefinite powers without regard to the federal government and, whenever necessary, in outright defiance of it. That's the United States of America. With each, quote, one nation, unquote, incantation, however, American children and adults are conditioned to view their states as insignificant political subdivisions while embracing the primacy of the federal government and the centralization of power in Washington, D.C. And I'm almost done here. The author goes on to say, however, of the th pledge's 31 words, quote, indivisible, unquote, should give greatest offense to American patriots. The very existence of the United States, created by succession from the British Empire, is a testament to the political 
divisibility as a foundational human right. The Declaration of Independence explicitly expresses that sentiment. Quote, Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes, a destruct, becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness." By reciting the Pledge of Allegiance and proclaiming the United States of America, quote, indivisible, unquote, Americans disclaim their human right of self-determination. They also surrender their ultimate means of holding government accountable. Every government should exist under perpetual threat of disintegration. Written by a Christian socialist who wanted an industrial army and came up with a ritual where you pledge allegiance to the entire United States. Now, where do we find ourselves right now? We find ourselves at a time right now where more and more people on really both sides of the aisle, but particularly on the right, are saying that it may be time, and this is something I have pushed for probably a year now, maybe time for a national divorce. Well, for those of you who have pledged allegiance, can you do that? Are you willing to have the United States break up, which it so obviously needs to do at this point? We need areas where people want to be free, where people want to have a big government that takes care of them. We have we've reached uh, irre uh, irreconcilable differences. But if you continue to push this Pledge of Allegiance, well, that kind of neuters that, doesn't it? You're not able to do that. You pledged to the indivisible United States. I, I found this fairly interesting. And as I say, maybe it's me. <laughs> maybe it is just that I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I saw this. I'm, 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 I just knew there was, the, the further you get away, the more you become an observer of this system. You know, I've talked for years on this radio station uh, about these military flyovers before football games. I love looking at military aircraft. I'm fascinated by just the rush of probably flying one of these fighter jets and the, the technology of it. And the it, it's very impressive. But the idea that to kick off a football game, we need to see the military remind us how powerful they are. That's not what the founding fathers envisioned for us. That's propaganda. That's very similar to uh, we see these countries. I believe China just did a great display of this where they went out to Red Square and they marched all their military equipment around while their soldiers goose-stepped through, through Tiananmen Square where they had killed over 10,000 of their own citizens a couple of decades ago. I'm not sure where that's, if that's where this last parade took place, but you get my point. Uh, this idea, and I have implored people to start disconnecting patriotism and militarism. I would say some of the same things probably about any of the rituals, any of these patriotic symbols, because they're, they're a mile wide and an inch deep. They are, they are designed to keep us in line. There are a million reasons to be very happy to be an American. And it is the principles of the Founding Fathers, but do any of these rituals actually 
perpetual. I mean, the, the Pledge of Allegiance was not something that John Adams wrote. This wasn't something that James Madison said would be great. Now, these are all modern inventions. And I know the pledge debate has been more about the, uh, the addition, I think, in the 1950s of uh, adding the under God. Well, I got to tell you, I, I understand if, if you think that, that you, that's something that should be in the pledge, but how's the country gone since we <laughs> added it under? I don't think God was real impressed with us that we do what we do, that we allow the people to run this country, that we have allowed to run this country, but we threw him, we threw him a credit in the, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, I'm just saying, now, again, you can reach me, Mike Madison at WYEB.com. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly when you read that, when you hear these things that I guarantee you, 95% of the people had no idea about the pledge being written by a socialist. And maybe I've never thought of these things. We, we now are seeing for the first time, really, I think, in, in, in big numbers, the indoctrination of our schools. Now, we think about it in terms of the woke agenda, the gender stuff. But indoctrination is bigger than that. It's been going on longer than that. You know, people have talked about the fact our education model is based on the Prussian model, which was really designed to just spit out factory workers. Now, there are some great schools out there that challenge their children and they achieve great things and challenge their mind and there's creative ways of education. But the, the education system at its root is really just it's an indoctrination system. And it's not new with the woke stuff, as I say, with, with all of these things. It's not new. These kinds of things have been going on for quite a while. So anyway, something to think about with the pledge. I, I don't really get anything from doing these kinds of shows, except I say to just start freeing our mind, particularly, maybe you don't want to take the pledge. If you realize the United States desperately needs to break into probably six to eight to 10 different pieces at this point. And when the federal government does fail and it will fail either next week, next year, or in 50 years, we will be fending for ourselves. We will, we will balkanize in this country. At that point, the pledge becomes kind of moot anyway. You think that's spearing a sacred cow uh, for conservative radio? Wait till you hear the next one. <laughs> I'll be right back. Stick around. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. For those of you still sticking with me through this one, <laughs> we're, we're sparing some, spearing some sacred cows here. I think well justified, but you can let me know. Uh, yesterday, here's another one. I think I'm going to make the radio gods angry at me with this one. But yesterday I mentioned the, uh, in closing, only oh, I had a couple of minutes left in the show, I m mentioned the military movements around the United States. A lot had been going around on social media about people seeing tanks in the streets. I believe it was Philadelphia where they might have seen tanks in the streets. That might have just been people trying to get home from the grocery store, honestly. <laughs> have you seen that city recently? But there were uh, street, And there was a lot of video of tanks on trains being moved around. Now, I've said yesterday, I've seen this story before. I don't put anything past the Biden administration or the people that are running the Biden administration, not that 
dementia patient uh, that is the face of it, but I don't put anything past them. But 10, 15 years ago, a lot during the Obama administration, people would send out pictures of the trains with all these tanks on them and saying, oh, something's coming. I smell martial law. And and I'll be honest with you. At first, I looked at it and went, oh, you know, I, I couldn't stand Obama. I was scared of what Obama might do to this country. Of course, I'm scared of what any president or any government at this point will do to this country. But I kind of fell for it. I was, well, that's really odd. And it took me about a nanosecond to go, well, how the hell else are they going to get tanks moved, you know, from their production places and all these different congress? You know, a tank is made in about 20 different congressional districts so that each of these Congress critters gets their piece. It's one of the reasons we spend a trillion dollars on the national security state. We can't have a tank plant. No, you've got to take it somewhere and put the treads on somewhere else and the wheels on somewhere else. And you've got to put the turret on somewhere else so that everybody gets their piece of the pie and go back and say, I got this great contract. It's part of the con job that is our national security state. But they got to get these tanks. They got to move them somehow. <clears throat> They're not sending them by UPS. Now, yesterday was the summer solstice, and there was some theory that that was the day they were going to roll out martial law. <laughs> so I cautioned yesterday, stop believing every single thing that crosses right-wing alternative media. I questioned this last year when they said, look, there's only 40 days worth of gasoline left. By Thanksgiving, all the gasoline is going to be gone. And I just immediately went to the chart that showed how much we have in storage of gasoline or of oil throughout history, and I found out that even during the Trump administration, there were times where we had lower, fewer days on hand. And I came to this microphone and told everybody, all right, let's calm down. This is just another one of these things that's being blown out. The right-wing media can be just as hysterical as the left. It's just about different things. But uh, I, I mentioned yesterday that I wanted to hear just one conservative national voice. Really... You know, we want to hear people now admit they were wrong about the mask. We want our national health people. I'd love to hear Thomas Dobbs come out and say, I can't believe all this medical training I had. And for some reason, I went temporarily insane and told everybody the mask would stop a, uh, a respiratory infection. I don't know what I was thinking. I sure was wrong. We want to hear these apologies, right? Same with the shots. There's a lot of people that have changed their mind on the shots. We, we kind of want that apology. We want somebody to say, yeah, I was wrong. I apologize for calling you bad names. I apologize for getting you fired. I apologize. I think there's only one politician that's done that, and she's Canadian. She's actually come out and apologized. But I would really like to hear one person on the right come out and say, boy, I can't believe that I got these Republicans to make me cheer for building the police state. Endless funding for law enforcement, militarization of the police with surplus equipment from Iraq, trillion-dollar national security budgets, $800 billion just for the Pentagon that can't account for trillions of dollars. I just want to hear one leading conservative voice say, yeah, we were dead wrong. Now, if you want to put a cherry on that cupcake... It'd be great to say, man, we should have listened to the libertarians who were warning us about the Patriot Act, who were warning us for fawning all over the FBI, who were warning us about this adherence, this subservience, this bootlicking to all law and order. The libertarians that warned you about huge military budgets, about 800 bases around the country. I'd love to hear somebody say, the libertarians were right, we were wrong, but I'm not going to push it. It would just be great. But here's where I may anger the... Radio gods, and I'm going to 
I'm going to go after another sacred cow. And Radio gods, please forgive me. <laughs> I know that Rush Limbaugh was the king. He really, he didn't kick off talk radio. I mean, there were other people doing it, but he kind of set the form, right? For 30 years, and I'm not sure, I should have looked this up. I'm not sure if Rush got started in the late 80s. We know he started off as a disc jockey, and then he, then he rose to prominence. And I know by, at least by the early 90s, I was listening to him. This is when I became a conservative. I didn't really care about much of anything coming through college except girls and beer. Well, and bourbon. I was a renaissance man. I liked bourbon, too. But, you know, my business partner, I started a business, very young age. My business partner was a diehard conservative, and he turned me on to Rush Limbaugh. I traveled the country. I had a huge sales territory, and my favorite times of the day were from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. every day because Rush Limbaugh was on. And when I was driving between appointments, I could listen to Rush Limbaugh. But it is a shame, in hindsight, that it was Rush. I know, <laughs> I know. And who am I to say this? I mean, he was the king. The guy was, what was he making, $200 million a year? And this was back when $200 million was actually a lot of money. But Rush, he wasn't a freedom guy. Rush Limbaugh, he wasn't an anti-endless war guy. Rush Limbaugh sold you on the Republican Party as it stands right now that most people refer to rhinos. Rush Limbaugh spent 30 years doing it great, very entertaining, but to me it's a shame. He sold you the establishment. Along with Fox News. What they did was they, they didn't really challenge the idea of a massive federal government. Oh, yeah, they talked a little bit about the budgets, but they, I mean, think about the people that were sold to us during the Rush Limbaugh golden age of radio and where it's led us now. Rush Limbaugh sold us on the John McCain's. Oh, he might have turned on him at some point towards the end because Rush threw in with Trump and Trump and McCain weren't always buddies. Rush Limbaugh sold us the Lindsey Grahams. Rush Limbaugh sold us the Mitch McConnells. Rush Limbaugh sold us the Bush family. Rush Limbaugh was the most powerful tool that the establishment GOP ever imagined. So people sick of the left-wing media, of, of which I am one of you, you thought you were fighting that system by going to the Rush Limbaugh's and the the copycats, the Sean Hannity's. Believe me, I take much more pleasure in bashing Sean Hannity over the head as often as I possibly can because he is truly horrific. But Rush Limbaugh, he was a big government statist guy, unfortunately. Oh, he was, he would talk about small limited government, but the people that he pushed us to, pushed me to, Rush Limbaugh turned me into a H.W. Bush and George W. Bush fan. Rush Limbaugh sold us on people like Thad Cochran. Now, Thad might have been a great guy. Must, might have really liked to have Sunday brunch with him. I was going to say a beer, but he didn't really seem like the grab-a-beer kind of guy. But he does seem like the kind of guy maybe a Sunday brunch would be a pleasant affair, Thad Cochran. But Thad Cochran bloated this federal government. Rush Limbaugh sold us on the Bob Doles of the world. 
and told us that's where we needed to focus all of our time and our energy. Meanwhile, this establishment Republican Party that we know now, right? We know now that this establishment Republican Party was really behind the scenes holding hands with the Democrats and growing this behemoth of a government that is abusing all of us. So it's just a little sad to me. I told you I was going to I was going to go after some sacred cows today. All due credit to Rush Limbaugh for putting out a great entertainment product. It's just unfortunate that where we find ourselves right now, I believe I believe is a large part of what conservative talk radio became, which was just our team. Anybody with an R behind their name are good for America. They are red, white and blue. And you got to fight the Dems. But it was always the wrong Republicans to follow. And now we find ourselves where we are. Um, I wanted to play this one clip here, too. I don't know if I coined this term. Obviously, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a hard one to come up with. But for, I don't know, probably since I really my awakening in 2004, 2005, 2006, I, I, I don't think it's any coincidence, that's when I started eating better food, where I went organic and got a bunch of the chemicals out of my body. I swear, I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence. Maybe that's a, maybe that sounds nutty to you, but I think my mind cleared up when I got off of the standard American diet. I started looking around and going, holy crap, what, what is going on here? And this is when I left the Republican Party. I don't think it's a coincidence, but anyway. As I watched the police state being built here in the United States, as I watched the endless wars, as I watched the surveillance, as I watched as conservative cheered for the Patriot Act and the National Defense Authorization and these kinds of things, and libertarians have been standing on the sidelines going, don't do this, don't, do, don't give them this power, don't give them this spying uh, facility. Quit doing this, you're going to regret it. Now people regret it again, I'm not expecting anybody to say libertarians were right, but it would be nice to hear somebody say, yeah, we really screwed up. And all of the people who told you to accept this, you should never listen to them again, but you'll never hear that. But I've used a, a key, uh, term called turnkey totality. Uh, no, I used turnkey tyranny. What I saw being built, the police state that we have right now, with all of the surveillance, license plate readers, well, I've told you right now, in Madison County right now, they, the Madison PD has license plate readers out there. They know everywhere that you've gone for the past six months. I'm not sure where this information is kept. They wouldn't tell me when I called them. But I said, boy, if the wrong people ever get a hold of this system, we have got a turnkey tyranny. Well, it was just interesting because RFK Jr.'s kind of circled around that exact point uh, in something that he said the other day that I thought was fairly interesting. Okay, it says... He had, one of his companies is putting up 61,000 uh, low-altitude satellites to do Earth surveillance. He says that his company alone will be able to watch every square inch of the Earth at 24 hours a day. So, you know, the capacity of people to escape that kind of surveillance and to, um, and to live, you know, free lives is going to be the, the power is what we're, we're creating is this kind of turnkey totalitarianism. Ding, ding. We're the next totalitarian regime that steps up and really wants to clamp things down. They're going to have all of these mechanisms in place like no regime has had it in human history. Okay. Yeah. And I've, I've talked about this before. <laughs> the, the Soviet Union could only dream 
could only dream of the technology that the United States federal government possesses right now, and really the world government, particularly in Western countries, where they have stripped their citizens of tax dollars and then used it to build the surveillance state, the national security state. It is. It's turnkey, as Robert F. Kennedy calls it, turnkey totalitarianism. I call it turnkey tyranny, but it's all the same thing. And we're still, up to and including today, paying for it. I'll be right back. So dark you can't see the end. Skies cocked back. Shotgun which can't defend. The rain then sends dripping. Acidic questions. Forcefully. The power suggestion. Then with the eyes shut. Looking through the rust and rotten dust. A small spot of light floods the floor. And pours over the rusted world and pretend. And the eyes ease open and it's dark again. From the top to the bottom. Right on the top I stop. At the core I forgot. In the middle of my thoughts. Taking fall from my safety. The pictures there. All right, final segment of the show. Only got a few minutes left. Wanted to touch on a couple other little things today. Uh, saw this headline. I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, headline was, Beijing plans new training facility in Cuba, raising prospect of troops on America's doorstep. Well, luckily, we won't say anything, will we? We will allow this. I mean, why should we get hysterical about Chinese troops training 90 miles from our shores? America's very rational like this. See, because we expect Russia to be okay with NATO troops training in Ukraine and positioning weapons in Ukraine and moving NATO straight up to uh, Russia's border, not even a nine mile buffer, like right smack dab up against Russia. So certainly... Certainly, we won't have any problems with China building a training facility in Cuba. I mean, hell, China can load up Cuba with a bunch of weapons because the United States has said Vladimir Putin shouldn't have a problem with Ukraine having weapons. Vladimir Putin shouldn't have a problem with Poland having NATO weapons pointed at Russia from their uh, border. So why should we have any problems? We got 90 miles worth of ocean. We've probably got an extra, what, 45 seconds notice <laughs> of a... Of a hypersonic attack coming from Cuba with all that water compared to Russia, who is butted straight up against NATO now. It's just, it, it, it's, that is one of the funniest things about Ukraine to me, is that you don't even really have to ask the question. And I've asked it, how would we feel, how would we feel if China took over Mexico or Canada and started, you know, toppled their government, put a pro-communist government in there and then started doing war games pretending to attack the United States and then stationed a bunch of weapons. We don't really even have to ask that question because we already saw what the United States response was in the 1960s when the Soviet Union put weapons on Cuba. We were not happy about it. Does anybody remember that? I wasn't alive, but my understanding of history is we, we were not really down with that. <laughs> We were not big fans of another country that was an adversary of ours having their arms that close. Of course, the news of this week that came out that is just almost laughable, of course, was they found some new money for Ukraine. Following up from um, some announcements earlier this year, during the department's regular oversight of our execution of presidential drawdown authority for Ukraine, we discovered inconsistencies in equipment valuation for Ukraine. In a significant number of cases, services used replacement costs rather than net book value, thereby overestimating the value of the equipment drawn down from U.S. stocks and provided to Ukraine. Once we discovered this misvaluation, the Comptroller reissued guidance on March 31st, 
clarifying how to value equipment in line with the financial management regulation and DOD policy to ensure we use the most accurate of accounting methods. Oh, yeah. We have confirmed. <laughs> the Pentagon loves accurate accounting, don't they? Don't they? They can't account for somewhere between 8 and $21 trillion worth of money. But boy, they found this $6 billion pretty quick, didn't they? Confirmed that for FY23, the final calculation is $3.6 billion. And for FY22, it is $2.6 billion for a combined total of $6.2 billion. These valuation errors in no way limit or restricted the size of any of our PDAs or impacted the provision of support to Ukraine. And while the DOD, while the DOD retains the authority to utilize the recaptured PDA, this has no bearing on appropriated USAI or Ukraine PDA replenishment funding approved by Congress. So there you go. They found $6.2 billion more dollars just sitting around in the couch cushions. Oh, a little moving a decimal here, using a little bit of an accounting trick there. This is what the United States is good at. Somebody made a good observation on this real quick. They said one of the craziest revelations of the Ukraine war is that the U.S. can't produce as much ammunition as Russia. Even though the U.S. spends over $800 billion a year on defense, which is 10 times what Russia spends. American taxpayers must be getting royally ripped off by the military-industrial complex. I've said it before. We spend 10 times what Russia spends, yet we are led to believe that they are an existential threat to the entire planet. They're going to overrun Europe, and they do it at 10% of what we spend. If the very least, we are seriously getting ripped off. Have a great day. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.